Well, good evening, everybody. So good to be God's people together. want to invite you, if you're joining us here or online, to swipe or turn to the book of John. We're going to be looking in John chapter 14, and we're going to be encountering the God who guides. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the God who sees. God sees an unseen woman stuck in a mess. And God was determined to bless this mess in the midst of and in spite of a difficult situation. God saw an unseen woman. Last week, we looked at the famous prophet Elijah and encountered a God who speaks. A God who speaks to a man at the end of his rope. He had had it. He was fearful. He was ready to just throw in the towel. And God spoke a word in a still, small voice. And tonight, we meet the God who guides. God guides Jesus' confused disciples when they can't see God's way on the road ahead. John chapter 14, in the middle of the upper room, the last moments Jesus is spending with his dearest friends and apprentices, and they're troubled They're worried because Jesus has washed their feet and they start to scratch their heads saying, what's up with that? Then they hear that one of them is going to betray them and they say, what's up with that? Then he says, I'm going to leave you. I've been warning you. They're going to hand me over. I'm going to be crucified. And they say, what's up with that? And finally, as we'll see in a moment, Peter says, where are you going? And they're troubled. So we pick up a famous passage, a passage that I read at most of the funerals I do, because it's a passage for those who need guidance, whether they're graduates or whether you're just a person that's graduated many years ago. We don't know the way forward as well as we'd like, so we're all in need of the God who guides. Let's hear these words of Jesus. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, so believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms or dwelling places. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So at some point, Jesus had told him, Hey guys, you can come to my Father's house and there's room for everybody. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Then Thomas, looking around the room, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now Philip looks around the room and says, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And then Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? 
even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus continues on in that passage to talk about how the Father has been dwelling in him and he and the Father and everything that he does is because the Father wants him to do it. He's trying to comfort these troubled disciples and tell them, don't worry, you know where I'm going. And they say, uh, no, we don't. Now, I'm young, but I'm old enough to remember a world before Google Maps. Show of hands. If this sounds familiar, you're headed to your friend's house or some father's house, their parent's house, and you say, okay, where is it? You can't just get the address and punch it in. You got to get the address and reverse engineer the thing. Okay, where is it? No, it's kind of in this part of town. Okay, so I got to take this. No, actually, you need to take that. And then you're going to go down and then you're going to pass a mailbox. Who hated the landmark that was the mailbox? Especially if you're headed on these country roads and you blink and you miss it. Just, just look for this. Or you have the friend that's like, now what you're going to do is you're going to go down three miles and then on the northeast quadrant. And you're like, I, what? Okay, here comes math teacher left brain Toby over here. Thumbs down. Becky needs a McDonald's. I need the inflatable King Kong on the car dealership. I need something that's like, that's it. Take a right. I'm young, but I'm old enough to remember life before Google Maps. So you write it all down. You get all these crazy directions. But that's even just half the battle. The other half is, okay, are they going to work? Because then, you're like me. You get into your 1988 Jeep Wrangler with no air conditioning. With vinyl windows. Are they even windows if they're vinyl and you can punch them with the Swiss Army knife and get my CD player that, with the removable face? Do you remember this? I get into my Jeep Wrangler and you're driving and what happens when you get lost? Can you pick up your cell phone and just give them a holler? No. You're on your own, my man. Sometimes maybe your friend is kind enough to walk outside and say, okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm down in the parking lot. Will you look? You see me? And they kind of bring you in the rest of the way. The anxiety that the person felt in an 88 Jeep Wrangler looking for the mailbox or the McDonald's or the Northeast Quadrant. Am I going to make it? Am I going to miss the turn? What happens if I don't? I can't call them. Do I really know? That kind of anxiety is the nth degree of the kind of trouble and the kind of anxiety that is setting in on these disciples who for three years were waiting for the arrival of God's kingdom that also looked like the upheaval of Rome and probably looked a lot different than what they had been seeing. Now, what they had been seeing for three years was broken lives being restored, blind people receiving sight. They had seen people welcomed at the table. They had seen people raised from the dead. They had seen things that they couldn't imagine. But at this moment, the unimaginable was happening, and this person was leaving, and he didn't leave them directions to wherever he was headed. And what's worse is he says confusingly, hey, you know where I'm going. And then Thomas raises his hand and says, no, we don't. What are you talking about? These disciples are troubled 
because Jesus is going and he didn't give them directions. And whether you're graduating or just living, you don't know the direction tomorrow will take. And graduates, I love how graduation is at one point a finish line because you say, yes, awesome, I did it. But at the very real sense, it's a starting line. Man, you're just getting going. Amy walked with a group of girls years ago from their freshman year to senior year in their small group Bible study at the church we were at previously. And she told them nearly every week, God willing, you're not going to drop dead once you walk across the stage. You've got more steps to take. You've got more life to live. You've got even more to discover. And so whether you're on a new starting line that's called graduation or you're just in a starting line of tomorrow is a new day, we are going to have to encounter situations and face decisions that need God's guidance even when we don't have step-by-step directions. The thing that Christians need to understand as we navigate 2022, tomorrow and beyond, is that you can't exactly approach the Bible and look through the index and find the exact way to navigate social media in a 14-year-old. Do you get what I'm saying? You can't just look through the index and navigate the complexities of being a good neighbor in a divided and hostile world. It's going to come in page after page of how we love each other, but you're going to have to encounter situations and decisions that need the guidance of God, even if you don't have a step-by-step detailed list. Because the Bible, if it's anything, is a story of divine encounter rescuing the world. And we see it, yes, as a pattern, but it's not precisely an Ikea owner's manual or your friend's directions scrawled out and in the passenger seat of your 88 Jeep Wrangler. The Christian life is one lived in attention and intention to listen for God's guidance and to respond appropriately. And Jesus is betting the whole farm on the fact that his troubled disciples without a step-by-step direction are going to make their way to the destination. In John 13, verse 36, Peter, right before the passage we read, says, Lord, where are you going? And then Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. So what happens if not only he doesn't get step-by-step directions, but Jesus says, nah, it's not time yet. Where do we go from here? What do we do now? How can we know the way? What we just read, Jesus saying, hey, Thomas, you know the the way that I'm going. And then Thomas says, no, we don't. And by the way, didn't you just tell Peter we can't even if we wanted to? And if we don't have directions, how are we ever going to wind up at the Father's house? Where do we go now? How can we know the way? It's 2022. I don't have step-by-step directions. And I'm here to tell you, you may not have step-by-step directions, but you do have a guide. Which is why Jesus responds to Peter and Thomas and all the rest with these words in John 14, 6. I and the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what's the destination? Where is he headed? The Father or heaven. You can read this and say this is heaven. The destination is the Father's house. 
I'm going to my father, and at my father's house, there's many dwelling places, there's many rooms, there's a party at dad's, and you're invited. Here's the directions. Me. The destination is the father's house, these dwelling places, and the directions, the way to get there is a person. Did you notice that Jesus says, here's the way, A, B, C, D, E. Here's the truth. Where did I leave off? E, F, G, H. (laughs) He doesn't leave step-by-step directions. He leaves himself. The way is a person. The truth is a person. The life is a person. If you want to know the way to live with my Father now and always, come with me. Jesus says, let me ride in the car with you and we will make it through the other way. The big idea here is when you don't have step-by-step directions, it's called faith. And faith is another word for trust. So faith is what it means to trust God when you can't trace God or the way ahead. If you're writing it down or looking on the screen, you need to know that that first part I didn't make up. It's from Pastor Chris Simmons, who's at Cornerstone Baptist in South Dallas. And I tried my darndest all week to rephrase it in a way, but I couldn't get better than him. So faith is what it means to trust God when you can't trace God or the way ahead. Or in parentheses, you may not know what's ahead, step by step, but you can know the one who goes ahead of you. So when you approach social media for a 14-year-old, you try to look at the example and teaching and life and love of Jesus, and you try to navigate the way forward with him, alongside him, and in the wisdom that he gives you in the present tense. When you don't know how to navigate what to post or not to post, when you don't know how to navigate this decision with your house or job or your life, you seek a person. You seek the one who sees you, the one who speaks to you, as we've looked at the last couple weeks, and you walk forward even when you can't trace the very next step. It's an exercise in discipline and discipleship where Jesus leverages the last moments of his life and he says, you're going to have to figure out when I'm not here and able to be seen face to face, but you're going to cultivate a relationship with what I've said and my living and abiding presence because I'm not going to be here forever face to face. So his disciples were the pioneers and the prototypes of what it looks like to work out this Jesus movement in a different culture than the one that they were living in before Jesus came and said, come follow. And we're doing the same thing in 2022. How do we approach this person who disagrees with my politics, who disagrees with my faith, who disagrees with the way forward? How can we learn from the example of Jesus and go into uncharted territory with the one who's gone ahead of us? So I need to back up and make sure we're not missing the original context that he is talking about a destination that's more than what's here on earth. It's life with the Father, God who is being and love and life itself. He's going to God, into God's space. So when he tells Peter you can't follow, it's because Peter was still living and breathing on earth. But later you'll come. So understand that we can walk forward on earth step by step with this one. 
and also even trust him beyond earth and into life eternal. The metaphor that undergirds what Jesus is talking about with his father's house and many places, many dwelling places, the metaphor undergirding this teaching is of a wedding. So in Jesus' day and in the ancient Near East beyond Jewish custom, although Romans had a different custom, it was very common for a bride and a groom to enter into an engagement called a betrothal. This is a legal contract, and this is why Mary and Joseph, even before they were quote-unquote capital M married officially, had to get a divorce, right? That's why Joseph wanted to get a divorce, because they were in a binding legal contract, a betrothal. Money had been exchanged. The families had agreed upon this. They were engaged, legally betrothed to be married. So when Joseph was like, I'm not sure this is going to work. Mary, you're pregnant. He resolved to divorce her quietly. You remember this? So even before they were married, they could have been divorced. So they're betrothed, groom and bride. What happens during the engagement? They didn't just go register at Target and Bed Bath & Beyond or like a bunch of stuff on Pinterest. Also, I'm young but old enough to have gotten married before Pinterest was a thing. Anybody else? So was your wedding kind of not as cute as it could have been? No, we did a good job, and we had an awesome groom's cake before Pinterest. Amy's idea, ask me about it afterward. You didn't get on Pinterest, and you didn't go to Bed Bath & Beyond. What the groom did was go to his father's house and pull an Isaac. He's going to start to build stuff. He's going to make an apartment and make a spot, and he's doing this, and he's adding an addition to the family home. Isaac didn't do this, but he's a guy that was like, I'll build this. He goes and he builds this place under his father's roof. You hear me? They didn't just walk down to the apartments and say, hey, we're getting married. Let's sign a new lease. They went to their father's house and built on an addition to the family home. So during this betrothal period, the groom goes to his father's house and prepares a place for her. So then what happens, like the parables Jesus taught around the wedding ceremony before it becomes official, the bride is with all of her bridesmaids keeping their lamps burning and keeping their watch because at some unknown time, around this time, the groom and his best man will prepare the way and make a procession to come for the bride. And when he comes and knocks on the door, it's time the groom has arrived and he comes for his bride and takes his bride to be where his father is in the place he's prepared for them in his father's house. So what Jesus is telling his troubled disciples is, I won't forget you. We're betrothed. We're in this. You're mine. I'm yours. The next chapter, he'll say, make your dwelling place in me, and I'll make your 
my dwelling place in you, but also where my Father is, where eternal life is, fixed and kept in heaven for you, in God's space. I have gone to be with my Father, and I am preparing a place for you. And when Jesus returns, he's going to come for his bride, and those who are awake and alert and looking will greet the groom, and they will go with him to this place that he is preparing to be with God forever. And what's even more interesting is that the place that he's preparing is coming with him. At the end of Revelation, it's not just a hope that we go to be with God on the clouds in spirit, but there's something about the return of Jesus that brings heaven to earth. And if we are still alive when Jesus is coming, we will inherit in some mystery a body like Jesus's that can live in God's space and earth space, for they will be one. This is what Jesus is saying. And when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, it's not a threat that nobody's going to come through me. It's a promise that if you put all your weight on me, if you cling to me, if you find way and truth and life in me, you will have a place in life with a capital L with my Father. Some observations then as we shift back to life as a graduate or as any one of us. What we can see as Jesus comforts troubled disciples without step-by-step direction, but with the promise that if you cling to me, we will make it through even beyond death. The first is you can ask questions. Graduates, I want to say this specifically to you guys. You may encounter Christians in your journey that were discouraged from asking questions. And to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. And one of Jesus' favorite things to do was ask questions. He asked a ton of questions. In the Gospels alone, he asked about 180 of them. And in the moment when Jesus was trying to impart these serious, lasting words... Thomas still interrupted him and asked a question. You can ask questions. Ask questions. The things that I just said is pretty wild. Ask questions about it. Because what questions do is sends you on a quest toward growth and depth. And sometimes you'll think the questions are too big. And I'm here to tell you as a person who's asked all of the questions of God... If you keep asking and keep knocking on the door, keep listening and leaning in, you may not get sufficient answers, but God will become bigger and the questions will lead you to a deeper place. Ask questions. You may not get the answers, but it will certainly send you on a journey. Some questions may never get answered. Of the questions that people asked of Jesus... He answered less than 10. But you can ask them. And when you don't get answers, I say embrace mystery. 
The things I just preached about, the things you can read about in Revelation or 1 Corinthians 15 or 2 Corinthians 5, don't make a lot of sense to our brains. But I think if we were to see a child in the womb ready to be born a day or two, and we're trying to talk to this little child in utero and say, boy, you're really going to love Whataburger. Man, you don't even know, dude. Wait till you go to Chipotle, little one. This person, amen, amen. This child has no concept of the life outside. In the same way, how can we think that we can get our minds around everything in this vast, expansive universe with a vast, expansive God who is somehow love and holding all things together in deeper and powerful and more mysterious ways than we could ever imagine? How dare us believe that we can figure out the divine that people have grappled with for generations? So at some point, you keep asking questions and then just embrace the mystery history. And the way that helps you when you don't have those step-by-step directions is understanding you can't know everything, but there are things you can know and hold tight to those. When I was graduating high school, when I was graduating college, when I was graduating seminary, It wasn't that I was becoming more and more certain of more things. I was actually becoming more and more certain of fewer things. But those few things I became more deeply certain of. And that's where the magic and the mystery and the sauce is. So I would also say be open to and hold on to God moments. When I was in high school, I probably had like one, maybe two. What's a God moment? A God moment may be those kinds of things where the veil of heaven and earth is really thin and you feel and you sense something beyond what you can know or think your way into. There are mystics who have talked about and walked with God 500 years ago that says you can't think your way to God, but you can love your way to knowing God. It's those moments maybe in a moment of worship or a time at overflow, or a quiet moment in your closet or your bedroom in prayer, or maybe it's on a mountaintop. I don't know where it is for you. I don't know what it is for you, but there are moments when heaven is peeking through earth, and if you've had one or two or four of them, thank God for them, hold on to them. You may not get many more, but there's something about those moments, those God moments you need to hold on to. Some of you that I've talked to about baptism, you may remember I said, hey, right here in this moment at Jason and Becky's dining room table or in the ark across the way, if we've prayed and you've thought about your baptism or you've given your life to Jesus, you might remember me saying, drive a stake in the ground, plant that flag right here through the middle of Jason and Becky's table or through the middle of this gym floor or wherever it was, plant it in the ground. And wherever this journey of life takes you, here or far, here or far from Garland or here or far from God, 
Remember that somewhere in this geography, there's a stake that you planted in the ground that reminds you of a God moment right here where you said yes to the way, the truth, and the life. And when you can remember that stake, when it's driven down to the deepest core of who you are and where you came from, no matter how far you've drifted, if you turn yourself around, you find Jesus with you, ready to walk back to the Father. So whether it's through the waters of baptism, drive a stake in the ground and say, I may not know today. But I knew then, and I'm going to trust, as Jason prayed, that he's still with you. And remember these people, remember this place, hold on to these moments and be open to those moments to come. Hold on to those, and that's how you can keep going when you don't really know. So a few more comments about the way, the truth, and the life. How we can go when we don't exactly know for graduates and those just trying to make it to Sunday morning, the way is a person. So when he says, I am the way, and that's the directions you've got to take on the way to the Father's house, I love how Dallas Willard puts it. Here's what a disciple does. You choose to do what Jesus would do if he were in your shoes. Has Jesus ever gone to trade school? Maybe. He was a carpenter, we think. Has Jesus ever gone to college? Has Jesus ever gone into a career that is new to 2022? Has Jesus ever gone to Richland? He does when you do, and you carry him with you. Has Jesus ever encountered the troubles and challenges that we're facing in our nation and our world? Well, he does when you do, because he goes with you. And you may not have the index of every single verse of every single Bible that is your exact moment and your exact situation. But you know enough and you know him to know what Jesus would do and how Jesus would relate to that person and how Jesus would get unstuck in this situation. That's why this next piece, the truth being a person, is so vitally important. Hear this really carefully. It's not enough to know the Bible but to know and understand the Bible through the ethical and theological lens of Jesus is what's most important. Please know the Bible, but it's not enough to have some verses memorized, cherry-picked here and there. This is not what the Bible is. This is not what the Bible was ever intended to be. The Bible is a story of how God is rescuing his good creation and his people for his own possession. And it's a story of how we're interacting with the divine. And so understand that when Jesus comes and tells the scribes and experts of the Bible, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. He says, but life is found in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear me. It is so vital and a gift that we have God's word. But the word is also a person. The word of God who became flesh and blood. The whole Bible was pointing to that word. All the words pointing to the word. And so when we approach the Old Testament, we look back through the lens of Jesus. 
He's our chaperone that helps us walk through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on and so forth, because he's where the whole thing was pointed to begin with. We go through the New Testament letters through the lens of Jesus and the movement that he was shaping and sending and the people that were discerning without step-by-step instructions, instructions, but walking with him. So it's not enough to just know verses and to know facts. Do you know the word to whom all the words were pointing? This Sounds revolutionary or sounds confusing to some Christians today, but it is so thoroughly Christian, it's not even funny. Jesus said, follow me. And so we look to the Bible to see and be introduced to Jesus. And then we can follow him in this life. But we must know the teaching, the example, the person of Jesus. So we've been talking about the God who sees. And when Philip says, just show us the Father, what does Jesus say? You've seen him. How is Jesus able to say that? Because Philip's literally sitting across the table from Jesus. Philip, you've seen him. How can you say, show us the Father? I and the Father are right here like this. So we talk about the God who sees. Do we see in Jesus God? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, when we talk about the God who speaks, Hebrews 1, right at the beginning of this book, written to Hebraic Christians, he says, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. John 1, Ephesians 1. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3a. So let me put it to you this way. Jesus is what God looks like. And there's never been a time that God didn't look like Jesus. Because whatever it means that to be the exact representation of God, and whatever it means, like in Colossians 1, he's the image of the invisible God. It means that God concarnate, incarnated and said, here's who I am. Here's what I've always been like. It's just been a progressive revelation and a progressive conversation. But now he's spoken and said, my son. So Jesus is what God looks like. Jesus is what God has to say. It's the reason why in the Sermon on the Mount, he quotes Leviticus and says, you've heard it said, and that was good, and that was right, but now I say to you. Or as the church father Origen says, Jesus is the kingdom of God in person. 
You may not know the complexities of what lies tomorrow or in 10 years or in five years, and you may not know exactly where to go to school or what job to do. But if you know Jesus, you know what God looks like, you know what God has to say, and Jesus is the kingdom of God in person. So abide in him as he abides in you and go sort out life with him. Trusting that he'll be with you and there's grace for each step as you discover and partner with him together. So the way, the truth, and then back to that other slide, the life, the kingdom of God is given in Jesus, by Jesus. It's eternal in quality. It's the life infused with heaven, and it's eternal in quantity. That Father's house is not falling apart like this building or the rock. Praise Jesus, hallelujah, amen. It's eternal in quantity and quality. And all of this, the way, the truth, and the life, hinges on really knowing and trusting Jesus. I was convicted this week thinking about if you asked me, like, what are my favorite plays from Dirk or Luca? I'm sad to say you could come to my TED Talk and I would have visual evidence. And I just wonder, are we growing disciples of myself and our church if I were to ask you, what's your favorite stories or miracles that Jesus told and did? Would we be as quick to talk about our favorite TV shows, our favorite sports teams, our favorite heroes? And that's not an invitation to guilt. That's an invitation to go and be with the one and learn from the one who's showing us how to live this life that's eternal in quality and quantity. Dive in, ask questions, embrace mystery, wrestle with the one who's still speaking and calling. Know his miracles so that when you need one, you can say, remember when? Jesus, I need something like that now. When he encountered the people on the margins and you see his example of how he interacts with them, would you say, hey, Jesus, remember then? I need some help now with this situation. The way, the truth, and the life is a person. So some questions, and then I'll close with the story. Where are you troubled and invited to trust? Jesus' disciples were confused by his words and worried about the next day. Where are you troubled, and in what way is Jesus inviting you to believe God and believe also in me? Secondly, which of Jesus' statements from this passage we read resonates with you the most tonight? If you really know me, you will know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Don't let your hearts be troubled. My Father's house has many rooms. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back for you. What words are resonating with you? They may be something he's trying to speak and then finally, what next steps are you sensing? Whether you're graduating or just trying to get through Sunday, what next steps are you sensing? And finally, I'll close with this parable that is perhaps a little cheesy, but I love it. And I feel like I might have said this a time before, but I'd like to share it again. 
I mentioned at the beginning of our time that I read this passage most when I'm doing funerals. And one funeral I did in particular was for Amy's grandma, Nana Pat. And Nana Pat, incidentally, was one who told me, I'm a red letter Christian. And I said, what's that? And she goes, I spend 99% of my time just dealing with the red letters of Jesus. Because y'all have one of those Bibles where all the red letters are the words that Jesus said. And there was a time when I was in seminary that I wanted to say, no, no. And now I'm a pastor. I'm like, yes, Nana, yes. (laughs) Nana posted this story that I'm about to share with you on Facebook weeks before she passed. And so I read this passage at her funeral, and I spoke about Nana, the red-letter Christian, and I shared this story that she posted. It was a story of a doctor who was in his office visiting with a patient, and they were winding down their appointment. And around this time, they hear some commotion just outside the closed door of the doctor's office. The patient is looking around saying, what, what is this? And the doctor says, sorry, you'll have to excuse me. That's my dog. Sometimes my wife brings it up when we're toward the end of the day. And so he must have known we're in here. And so what's interesting is as the doctor and patient are trying to wind down, the dog starts to tap at the door, scratch at the door, bang at the door. And finally, the patient stops him and says, Sir, I've got to tell you, what, what is going on here? Has he ever been in this room? Has he ever, like, is there treats in here? He goes, no, none of that. And so the doctor reaches over, opens the door. The dog bounds in, pounces on the doctor, licks him all over his face, is thrilled to see him. And the doctor turns back to the patient and says, he's never been in this room. He didn't know what's on the other side of the door, but he knew me. And that's why he wanted to come through. Even facing the unknown, even though he didn't know what lay on the other side of the door, he knew me. And so whether you're graduating, whether you're facing death, whether you're facing difficulty, we may not know what's on the other side of the door. You won't know what's on the other side of the door. You might have your best guess of what's on the other side of the door. But can we know the way, the truth in the life? And can we know enough to trust him with our very lives now and forever? Amen. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in God's son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and through whom we come to know the Father. Ask questions, embrace mystery, and stay open to and hold on to the moments when heaven breaks through to earth. And may the blessing of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you now in each step of, of the journey ahead. Amen. Go in peace.